or you know, I said Pastor Stephanie. So they did a lot of you know uh, work together to determine you know what it should look like and how it should be. So well done to both of you and to preparing community. Uh, many times people believe that it doesn't take anything to do what we do. It's online meetings, but it's not true. We actually spend a whole lot of money um, to do this, to have media behind the scenes, to have people working um, to make all of this happen. Uh, so thank you to those who give offerings and tithes to prayer ring. Um, you've made it possible for us to redo the studio and to give you the best possible quality that we can. Um, I do realize that you probably cannot see me anymore, but I'm just going to go on. And when you see me, you see me. Fantastic. But can you hear me, everyone? If you can hear me, you can just type it. Okay, thank you, Celine. You can hear me. That is great. Okay. So yesterday, um, I mean, I had a good time yesterday and um, there was so much that God was teaching us yesterday. And, you know, the thing is, the reason why I tell you people to take notes is because many times I come with one, um, one, yes, please, admin, can you keep posting the links to join the communities? Because on the community, they, they get to share different information and videos and stuff like that. So please put the link. One other thing that we'll be sharing with the community is, um, so my elder sister encouraged me to do daily affirmations and to do like, um, yeah, just declarations. And so it's something that I've started already. So we'll be sharing that with the groups every day. Uh, so try to be on one of the community, on one of the community groups so that you can get all the affirmations and all of that. Yes. So yesterday we began this whole journey where I started to teach you about uh, building protocols. And I said to you, and the reason why we have this session. So this evening, um, the Lord, I finally said to the Lord, I was like, Lord, how do I differentiate the two classes? In the morning, we're praying, we're interceding, we're doing all of that. But in the evening sessions, I really just want to sit down and teach you um, life skills and teach you um, strategies and all of the things by which you can build in this season. And I kept saying, Lord, what do we call the evening classes? And the Lord said, you just simply call it the Build Masterclass. So I want to welcome you to the Builders Masterclass. And this is different from the morning sessions that we have. Every evening you are writing, you're taking a whole course for 21 days with me. And that's exactly what I'm doing in the evening. So I welcome you to the Builders Masterclass and hope you're ready today. So yesterday, um, we were talking about building protocols. So that's the first thing I was teaching in the Builders Masterclass. And I said, when we talk about building, and building protocols, that there are different protocols that you need to adhere to as a builder. And the first protocol that I spoke about um, is the protocol of divine revelation. You know, and I was saying that, and I said, after building, we'll talk about building designs but on the building protocols we have um we have the principle of we have the protocol of divine revelation and um, the second protocol is identity and foundation the third protocol is authority and responsibility and the fourth protocol is strategic communication those are the four protocols, building protocols. The first one is divine revelation. 
identity and foundation, authority and responsibility, strategic communication. I know you're thinking, oh, you know, what is this all about? I'm going to give you scriptural backing for every single principle that I share with you. And the reason why I do this is because I found out that many Christians limit um, the authority of God, the power of God, the scope of God within the context of their faith, you know, and many people believe that God is only to be worshipped as we know what worship is. But I said to you people that the Hebrew word for worship is the word eved. Pastor Stephanie, you may want to spell that for the people. It's the Hebrew word eved. The word eved means work, worship, serve, slave, servant. It means five things. Work, worship, serve, slave, and servant. So every time that God speaks about worship, what God is speaking about is your ability to first of all work. So you then realize that when God created man and God positioned man and God made him to be his legal representative here upon the earth, one of the first things that God gave to man was work because in the realm of the spirit, you are qualified by the works of your hands and you need to write that down. You are qualified by the works of your hands. No, you are not the only one who cannot see me, um, Ching Wei. Um, there was a, a glitch here, so it is all dark, but it's coming back up soon. But I'm glad you can hear me. So in the realm of the spirit, you are qualified by the works of your hands. And this is the reason why when God created man, the first thing that God did after the Lord blessed them, and I spoke to you that the word to bless um, it actually means to bless as you know it, to salute, to position, to empower, to give ranking. So when the Bible says the Lord blessed them, what the Lord did was that he positioned them before the heavens and before all the governing bodies in the spirit realm and he saluted them. So basically the Lord gave them a destination and God put them in order and ranking. And I need you to understand where I'm going this, this evening. So the Lord doing that to the kingdom of darkness that God had appointed a new set of representatives on the earth. So Satan came after man because he did not come after man just because man looked like God. He did not come after man just because God loved man. He came after man because he knew that man had legal authority to represent God on every matter here on earth. And this was the authority that Satan wanted and Satan had lost fully. So when, when Satan came for man, he was coming for man's legal authority. So you then see that when God made this being called man, what did God then do? God then gave him work. You may look at the work and say, till the day and all of that, what kind of job is that for a person who's meant to be a God? But you then understand that as a God, you are qualified by your works. You must have work. It is in the midst of your work that you get into warfare. It is in the midst of your work that you are tempted and tried. It is in the midst of your work that you attain levels of grace and levels of brokenness as it were so it is in the midst of the work of life that you test gods that were made by god himself now so um it speak about worship service servant so i said to you i found out that many people have reduced the size of god and have reduced him to just religious activity of singing songs and the warfare 
that is coming in 2024 is a warfare that is predicated upon the ability of the church to truly worship God, to truly worship God. And it is not songs, it is not hymns. It is our ability to be strategic in our thought and to position ourselves upon the corners of the wall that God has given to us. It's mercy is the Hebrew word eved, and it means work, worship, serve, slave, servant. That's the meaning of eved. Work, worship, serve, slave, servant. That's what it means. All right. So, um, and I said that this is the reason why we are having the builders masterclasses in the evening, so that we would understand that beyond all saying, let fire come down, let the blood. And as we go on, I will teach you the dimensions of these things. When we speak about the blood, what are the dimensions and expressions within the blood? When we speak about fire, what does fire mean within the intelligent intelligence? landscape of God. Because when we talk about intelligence in the spirit realm, it's almost like intelligence in the physical. In the physical, there is no government or army that goes after a people without gathering information. So fire reviews the plots of the enemies. Fire reviews the schemes of the enemies. Fire reviews the weaknesses and the strengths of your enemies. So when we speak about fire, we speak about blood, we speak about power. In the spirit realm, we're not just talking about intangible things. We're talking about real life strategies by which you become powerful as a son of the kingdom. So that's what the builders masterclasses in the evenings are about. So we started by talking about building protocols. And yesterday we took some time to deal with um, the protocol of divine revelation. Now, the second um, protocol um, that we are going to be dealing with is that of identity and foundation. Identity and foundation. The reason why I say identity and foundation is because identity is foundational to everything that you do. And even in the mornings, you will begin to notice that there is a thread of connection between the morning and the evening sessions. So in the morning, we're praying about these things that I may know you, God, open my ears, open my eyes. But in the evenings, we're bringing it down to what it really looks like on a daily basis. So understanding personal identity is the first thing I'll talk to you about today. Remember in Matthew 16 that we talked about because I said where Jesus was headed to is building the church. But Jesus' strategy was not to just tell them, okay, I'm giving you, um, I'm, I'm giving, that's the first time Jesus actually spoke about the ecclesia. He hadn't spoken to them about the concept of the ecclesia before. They had followed him. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen him heal, raise the dead. They had seen him heal the sick, but he had never spoken to them about raising a government that is separate from Roman government. So them hearing, I will build my church, I will build my ecclesia, because what they heard is not what we are hearing today. When we hear church, we hear singing, worship, choir, pastor. But when they heard church in their time, when they heard ecclesia in their time, the ecclesia was the ruling body. It was a body of the selected, most talented, intelligent representation of the Roman kingdom. Though that was the ecclesia. So the ecclesia was a governing body that was elected 
by Rome and Caesar himself to represent Rome in every affair that was governmental, to establish the government of Rome in every sphere of life. So when Jesus said, I will make you my ecclesia, what the disciples were hearing, wow, we're about to start a different government. We're about to start a different kind of rulership here in Rome. We're about to start something really powerful. They didn't think they were going to die on, on, on stage. They didn't think they were going to be fried in hot oil. They didn't think their skins were going to be peeled off their bodies. When they had the ecclesia, they thought about wealth, increase, money, multiplication, because that was what the ecclesia was in the time that Jesus used the word. And remember, Jesus is a very skilled builder. Jesus is a very intelligent master, and he's the greatest craftsman that has ever existed. No wonder when he came, the, 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 the occupation that his father did, that he must have done, was carpentry, which is really crafting, building, molding, putting together, you know. So I, I believe all ties in together, but that's just an aside. Then you begin to see that Jesus always used examples that were relatable by the people of the time. So when he said ecclesia, he knew what he was talking about and he knew they would get it. So it is for the years that it has been watered down because many of us have lost the context of the time in which many of the things in scriptures were spoken about. So the disciples got it. Now, you cannot be an ecclesia if you're not a skilled expert at anything. You cannot be part of the council. You cannot be part of the ruling body. This is why it is important for us to get skilled. It is important for us to increase in knowledge. It is important for us to grow in understanding. Today, one of my mentees called me and she said, you know, Pierre, I just want to thank you for everything you're doing, prayer, but one of the things I want to thank you for is that she said, Pierre, you're a very intelligent person. And I said, really, you just realize I'm intelligent. I finished school. I finished with a geology degree. And, you know, we laughed. And she, she was like, no, 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 but P.I., seriously, you, you know, you have this wide array of examples and things you are able to do and piece together and, you know, always flowing with content, always flowing with. And she said, I, I realized because you read, you talk about how much you read. She said, but really it shows. And, and for me, what I didn't say to her is, it's not optional for me. It's not optional as a leader um, to read or not read, to grow or not grow, to be intelligent or not. If you're going to be a leader that is able to galvanize people to a cause, I said to you yesterday, you must have language. But there is nobody that has language that does not first study how words are conjugated and how they are presented so that it becomes comes an understanding to a people. And I explained to you yesterday why language is important because I was telling you the four things that the kingdom of darkness has mastered that we have not yet mastered. So that was why I spoke about language. I spoke about um, language, wealth. Um, they have a great company and they know how to manage their image. Those are the four things I told you yesterday. And you then realize that um, I spoke to you yesterday about the fact that in the expression of the Holy Spirit, when he came upon them, language was one of the first things he gave them to be able to communicate with everybody. So if they stood before kings, they knew how to talk to kings. When Stephen too stood before the council in the book of Acts, Stephen overwhelmed them with the journey of scriptures. He began to explain to them when they were questioning why he was preaching. He explained to them the covenant of Abraham and went further in into Isaac, the blessings of Isaac and Jacob, and spoke about the fathers and entered David. And then he entered the root of David and he 
brought them to the place where they were standing and there was an undeniable conviction concerning the fact that Stephen was right. At that point, what did they do? They said, kill him. So they took him out and they stoned him because they knew that if they permitted Stephen to finish that conversation, that everybody in the town would have been taken. Now, who were the guys Stephen was talking to? These were intelligent scholars. Many of us cannot even fully, even on the level of religion, cannot fully represent Jesus. We cannot even fully represent him on the level of scriptures and the volume of the word. Now, how can we represent him when we are standing before elders to defend the faith, to bring faith within the context of daily living? Many of us cannot do that. We can speak about our careers. We can speak about our technical skills. But can you see Jesus in the midst of technicalities? Can you explain and express Christ in the midst of the talents that you have, knowing fully well that all things have come from him, by him they were created? How could he make the heavens and the earth and not be a scientist? How could he create the lilies of the valleys and not be an agriculturist? How could he make the paths in the ocean and not be an oceanographer? What is the wisdom that one seeks for? He painted the landscapes and yet you think he's not an artist. Jesus is everything. He is everything embedded in it all. And all things derive their identity from Christ. So we are in the school of Jesus. When you fully study Jesus, you will find out that there are layers and layers of him to unravel. And when you give yourself in commitment and dedication to Christ, you will find that there is nothing in this life that can ever be bigger than you. No matter where they tell you to stand before, no matter who they tell you to speak before, you are never afraid. You never feel disqualified in life because you understand that the wealth of wisdom in himself, in fact, the concept of wisdom comes from the fact that Jesus exists. The Bible spoke concerning him in the beginning. Wisdom was speaking about herself. She was speaking about the fact that she was with him when he measured the dimensions of the earth. When he determined the angles of the planetary systems and the bodies of the galaxies, wisdom was with him. When the pillars were laid, wisdom said, I was there. When the foundations and the seas were laid, I was there. So you see, wisdom in itself is an attribute of Christ. It is a, it is a, first, um, how do I explain? Wisdom is, is an attempt to define one of the expressions of Jesus. So I need us to give him back his honor because when you know Jesus, you will find out that there is nothing in this life that should ever hold you captive. Even if you have a demonic problem, and I need you to hear me very well, God can show you how to be released from it. So many times we worship God with our demands, but we don't worship God with our minds. That's why we don't enter into the liberty that prayer can give to us. So you worship God by saying, God, deliver me. If you will deliver me, if you will deliver me. And what you're doing is here, passion and, um, and, and verbalization. Those are the only two things you are doing. You are verbalizing your passion, but you forget that what passion and emotion is supposed to do is to put the gates of wisdom and understanding to open up to you in the spirit realm. So there were men who were passionate. I've digressed a bit from my teaching, but let me stay here a little. There were men in scriptures who were passionate. And when men like Jabez prayed in the midst and in the fullness of their passion, they were crafting parts of um, requisition. They knew what to require and ask 
acts of the Lord. In the midst of their passion, they were able to speak intelligently concerning their request. And it was in the midst of the intelligent speaking of their request, they were already pulling down the answer. Passion. When God made the woman, he called her the Ezra Kenedo. So the Ezra is an intelligent strategic warfare general. Now, when the woman fell, he said to the woman, now the problem with your fall is that your desire shall be for the man only. You who were originally created to be a creature, that who is passionate, but what the passion of the woman was supposed to do was to stir her up, to be able to enter the mind of God, to get strategic insight for deliverance, for liberty, for increase, for growth, to help the man to be everything he's supposed to be. But because of the fall, she will not be able to see the God of the man and the God in the man. Rather, she'll be designing the humanity of the man. Oh, you did not love me. You did not kiss me. You did not hold me. You know, this one. Oh, how is the sex? How is the this? That is the humanity of the man as opposed to the God of the man and the God in the man. So it is a product of the fall where passion is not translated into the satisfaction of the flesh. Flesh. When initially passion is supposed to be the key that opens the door of revelation. So when people were passionate in scriptures, Jesus was walking in a crowd and he said, who touched me? And the woman said, it is me. She said, if I could only touch but the hem of his garment, who told her that there is deliverance in name of a garment. You need to hear what I'm talking about. Because in those days, the hem of the garment is a representation of government. This is why when Ruth was going to go and lie down in front of Boaz, Naomi said to her, go lie down at his feet. And when Boaz woke up and saw Ruth, she said, please, my Lord, that you will spread garment over me. It was a sexual thing. She was making a very intelligent strategic request to cover her from the brokenness of being husband, brother-in-law, and father-in-law. Because according to the government of that time, if you did not have a man in your house, you were not qualified for an inheritance. So when she said to Boaz that he should stretch his garment over her, he was saying, use your government as the king's man redeemer to cover me and to redeem and redeem my father's house. So when the woman said, but that I may talk to him of his garment, how did she translate a redemptive principle into a principle for healing? It takes intelligence that is built out of passionate pursuits. I hope somebody can hear me. So the passion within you, the passion within you is meant to stir you up to possess the gates of revelation, to possess the gates of understanding, to possess the gates of truth, to possess the gates of wisdom. This is what it is meant for. So, but the problem is there's a corruption of passion because the Bible says, according to what you can ask or think, it will give to you. Excuse me, according to what you ask or think, ask and think. So many of us know how to ask, but we don't know how to think the thoughts of God. We think about many things because your thoughts are governed by the information you are fed. You can never imagine past what your mind can carry or what your mind can hold. So when you look at some things in the Bible, you realize that when they had dreams and visions, their dreams and visions where they spoke about things that in today's world, we'll probably say maybe he was speaking about an airplane. He was speaking about, they described the things they saw because their minds could not hold many of it. Now, when 
It has fed information. It begins to redefine your imagination. Information redefines the system of your imagination. So there was a time where people could not sit down and imagine having sex with a woman. A woman would not sit down and imagine having sex with another woman because it has never crossed her eye gates. It has never crossed her ear gates. It has never crossed her heart gates. Now, I'm not talking about people whose sexualities were attacked from the womb because that's a story for another day, how people are attacked from the womb. If you read the Bible, you will begin to see that Job and David spoke about the times when they were in their mother's wombs. How did they know these things? They were not even um, aware at that age, but they spoke about it by the spirit of revelation. And another day, I will teach you how to build from the womb, the womb of time, the womb of the setting of the day, the womb of, of nations, because there are many things that are locked from the womb. So I'm not talking about the people that were locked from the womb, their sexualities attacked from the womb. I'm talking about the people who just normal, you were normal. But after a while, you began to imagine things that were not natural with the um, structure and the, the configuration of your spirit as a God. Now, how did that imagination come? It was from information that you were fed once or consistently through time. Now, many Christians do not feed themselves with enough godly information so they do not have God-like thoughts. When you feed yourself with scriptures, and you feed yourself with the word, and you stay in meditation, it begins to re-regulate your thoughts so that godly information produces God-like thoughts and imaginations. And God-like imaginations will produce God-like structures. The reason why we are not building structures that are capable of attacking darkness in our time is because many of us are not drenched in the knowledge of God. It's that simple. We are not. Imagine the time of the Tower of Babel. These guys came to that and said, come, let us build. We will build a structure that will reach the heavens. Now, when you read it very carefully, I've taught you this before, in the original text, the word bar is the word also for, um, it's the word for gates. And the word L is the word for God. So what they were trying to build was the gate of gods or the gate to the gods. That's what they were trying to do. So they were building a physical structure that was going to be a one representation of the gods, small g, to a pathway of entry for the gods. Three, it was going to be a place of safety and living and accommodation for those who worshipped that god. Thank you, Diana. And you then understand that for every time that a man builds on the earth, a man's physical structures that you build, it becomes the housing for a God and a deity to enter the world. And I need you to understand this carefully because you have been building a fashion brand and you've been saying to yourself, is there anything in this? You have been trying to start up your own bank and you ask yourself, is there any use? When men come together to build, when men come together to erect, you are either building, you are always building a Babel, a gate for a God. But the question is, what God is entering through your gates? It is the configuration of the gates 
the blueprints of the gates, the protocols of the priests, all of these things determine the God or the deity that can enter through that gates. That's why when God was going to tell men to build, he was very specific about dimensions. He was very specific about the details. He was very specific about the inner chambers. He was specific about the operations of the structures that they built for him. Why? Because the configuration of the structure will determine the deity that will move through the structure. As you are listening to me, you have to understand, this is why you cannot operate your business. You cannot operate your ministry. You cannot operate anything you are building, even your marriage, by the principles of the world. Because principles, dimensions, context, everything matters. And the way you erect it will determine the deity that will possess it. The way you erect it will determine the deity that will possess it. So you are believers, but your marital principles are all configured to house demonic entities. You are believers, but in your home, you can invite a third party to sleep with yourselves. We are exploring our sexuality. Oh, we are very sexual. We're very, we're an exposed family. Please, you have to understand that the way you build will determine the God that will possess your structure. The way you build even when you sit down to eat as a family, the way you eat will determine who sits at your table dining with you. So everything in your life must be built according to the patterns of holiness, according to the patterns of the kingdom, according to the patterns of God. Everything in your life must be built because the way you set your table will determine whether Jesus can sit at it or not. If you set your table in anxiety, in fear, in malice, in anger, in pride. Within the structure of the family sitting at the table, there's no love. Bible says that when you sit down, bless your food and give thanks for it. There is a reason why you give thanks for it. Because the Bible says we will enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and his courts with praise. For every time you sit at the table with your family and you say, we give thanks to God, we thank him for this meal that we're about to eat. What you are doing is that you are opening his gates over that table and you are calling the courts of God to die with your family. There is no man that eats the bread of heaven and falls sick. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness. They ate the diet of angels and they drank water from the rock. They, are, they were never sick. Their bodies never outgrew their clothes. Even their clothes grew, their shoes grew. They were supernaturally catered for because of who they were eating with. Please stay with me because what I am doing is that I am bringing your spirit into the intelligence of God by which you can craft structures. I am teaching you how to be a powerful human being here on earth. So that whether you are sitting in the seat of government or you are sitting as a first lady or you are sitting as a bank MD, whatever your position is, you are sitting there as the transmitter of the authority of a divine one. And this is how you do it. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you pay tight only. It's not because you worship only. There are protocols by which men can build structures that can be received by God. Very simple. Very simple. That's why the Bible says in the last days or in the, on the judgment day, people will say, but Christ, I did this for you. I did that for you. 
and depart from me. I did not know you. He would burn some of the works and they will come out as shaft as dust. Why? Because while they built them, they did not look to the blueprint of the Lord to know whether or not what they were building is according to the pattern that God required at the time and within the location. Very critical. Very critical. So Saul said, I kept the king and I kept all the, the, the fattened sheep of the land to be given as offerings unto God. But Samuel, according to the inspiration of God, said to Saul, this thing that you have done again, he said, the kingdom will be divided from you. It will be ripped from you and given to another. Authority was lost. Power was lost. Honor was lost. Grace was lost. Reward was lost. Why? Because a man could not follow, follow the pattern of the spirit. Very important. Very important. This is why you must always sit back and ask God, who am I? What am I called to do? That's why under the second protocol, it is the protocol of identity and foundations. Who is ready for me to start today? Let us begin. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. So we will begin today's teaching. I know I've said a whole lot of things, but that was to lay foundation as to why it is important for you to own your identity. Remember, our foundation scripture is Matthew 16, where the Lord began to speak to them and said to them, who do men say that I am? And this morning we were praying about the external. And I said to you how Jesus was dealing with the external noise so that they may be able to find the eternal voice of identification. He first asked them, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? He did not ask them, who do you say that I am from what men say that I am? And that is the danger of trying to identify Christ from another man's doctrine. Is everybody still with me? So you will identify Christ from who you have personally known Christ to be. I may teach you these things, but if you don't go back and pray these things into your spirit and allow these things to be distilled into personal interpretation according to the leading of the Holy Ghost and the government of prayer, if you don't allow yourself to do that, what is just going to happen on the level of who do men say that I am? Oh, Pastor Isi said, Pastor Isi this, but who do you? Because the church and the building pattern of the church was not released to the disciples until one of them could say, you are Jesus, the son of the living God. So your capacity to fully identify Jesus in the midst of the engagement of life in a particular time, location, your capacity to identify Jesus within these contexts will determine whether Jesus can trust you to lay the foundation of the next level of the manifestation of the ecclesia upon your life. So identity is important. Your personal identity speaks about your distinct characteristics, your qualities, your attributes define you. It encompasses all your beliefs, your values, your attitudes, your behavior, your experiences, all of this, they shape who you are as a unique individual. Look, I have seen many people say to me things like, 
um, Pierre, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I can build. I don't know what to set up. And I say to many people, the reason why we have entered into confusion is because of the way we have been taught to think through time. So there is a way that God taught man to think. God created the animals and gave all of them to man and said, name them. He did not tell man, it is cat, it is dog, no. He gave man his spirit and he gave man the template upon which man could begin to express his creativity. So he gave man dog and said nothing. And he allowed the man look at the dog, meditate on it, looked at the attribute, the nose, the eye, and he looked at God and said, dog. Now, and God said to him, so what is a dog? Because the Bible says whatsoever he called them, what was he became. So there were two levels of the manifestation of Adam's intelligence. Number one, the ability to examine, three levels, the ability to examine the things that were before him. It's a, it's a proof of intelligence, a mind that can examine, a mind that can examine. If you look through the book of Ecclesiastics, you will see that Solomon consistently spoke about how he examined things. No wonder he was the richest man and still is the richest man that has ever lived on the earth because he was the most introspective man. He examined the ants. He examined the birds. He examined the context of love. He examined warfare. There was nothing he did not take his time to ponder upon. This is why we are such a distracted people, because Satan does not want you to think. Please stay with me. So God, the first level of the manifestation of Adam's intelligence was on the level of examination. He could examine. That's why I always say to people, please do not despise trials and tribulation. Do not despise anything that has to ruffle you up because it is an examination and it is an opportunity for you to exercise thoughts as a God. When a God is thinking, we may have pain as a feeling, but I've told you about the power of emotion. How emotion is supposed to help you navigate the realm of thought to enter into the wisdom of God. So it may begin as an emotion that is throwing you back and forth, but when you target it within the, the nature of God and the knowledge of God, that emotion can turn into power that propels the rocket of your life and your spirit into the wisdom realm. So the first level was examination. God will give you a thing to examine. And then Adam would look at it. And then the second level of the manifestation of Adam's intelligence was in naming. He was able to name them. He used the skill of language to declare an identity. Now, he named them, but he did not necessarily give them identity. But the Bible says whatsoever he called them was what they became. So he examined, he named, and he identified. Please hear me very well. So he gave them identity on every level. Cat. So what is a cat? A cat is an animal that we live in the house. It has claws. But this is going to be the nature of the cat. This is going to be the way cats will dwell with men. This is going to be, Adam gave them identity. You then begin to understand that when God is educating a being, God will give you food for thought but you will convert the food for thought into an opportunity for examination, naming, and identification. Please stay with me. And as God educated Adam like that, 
What was he doing to Adam? Giving Adam the opportunity to express all that was within him. But over time, we have been taught differently. We have been stereotyped into the box of the requirement of government and industrialization and cultures and emotions. So people are now taught and the curriculums of life are adjusted to make men think within the confines of what society requires. But God did not create us for society. God created us for himself. And it is our, in our ability to study the society of heaven that should determine how we build society. But now society is built upon the principle of brick and mortar. Bake men, break men, so that they may erect structures that help men or that have pride on the inside of them to feel like they're great. So then the structures that were built from the foundation of pride, we now go and get jobs inside them. Now you get job within a structure that was erected to glorify men. Those jobs do not have the capacity to equip you with the revelation that you need to operate as a God and to establish on earth as a God. So over time, curriculums have been adjusted to make people not think the way God created us to think. So what you then have is people who are believers, people who are Christians, people who love Jesus, but they are frustrated in their ability to manifest and to build. Because over the years, culture has rewired the thinking of man and even the thinking of believers. And it does not stop at rewiring. It will then set up key men in place that become what they, what everyone is looking up to and everyone is aspiring to be. Because in every, in the way humanity was created, we were created to look up. Looking up is a principle in the spirit. We were all created to look up. Look up to God. Look up to the hills. Look up to the mountains. Look up to his throne. We were made to look up to God. So, the enemy understands this. Over the years, people are raised up. Today, we call them influencers. We call them stars. We call them heroes. We call them inspiring people. People like to look up to something and someone. So Satan would then establish um, people. He will only corrupt the thinking pattern. Then he will raise people who are models. And then we look up to those models and those models begin to sell to us satanic principles by which they arrived at being satanic models. And when I say satanic, I'm not saying that the person is burning, uh, what they call that nonsense, they burn now all over the place, sage. I'm not saying that the person is even chanting or hexes and spells. No, to be satanic is speaking about the rebellious spirit that is manifested not only in the vocalization of, re of re rebellion, but also in the way that things are built and crafted. It is an entire kingdom that is seen to advance. You need to understand me. And a kingdom has houses, a kingdom has offices, a kingdom has culture, a kingdom has language, a kingdom has legal tender, a kingdom has aspirations. It is a kingdom that wants to manifest over the kingdom of God. So when I say satanic, satanic is not just the man, Satan. Satanic is an entire kingdom structure. And so when I say people can be satanic, some people are born again, but manifest and build in satanic ways. The principles by which they operate. Have you looked at the Jews? When God was raising the people to worship him, what did he do? He gave them 
principles and values. We get there. And so within the principles and values, they crafted their families, they crafted their businesses. That's why the Jews will always train themselves. It is one of the value system. Enrich all, that all will be wealthy. None will mourn in Zion. No brokenness. Corporate enrichment is one of the principles of Zion. So this is when a man is building like God, you will look at a principle like corporate enrichment. There must be nobody that will work with you that today they cannot afford a plane ticket. It should not be the case. Is anybody still with me? So, you begin to realize that Satan will set up these models and these models will begin to sell to you their satanic principles by which they arrived at where they are. And everybody then comes to these ones for direction. It begins to influence the thoughts of men. So education has done its own beating and bashing on your mind. And then you come out and you see those that are celebrated as great and wealthy and powerful and the way they live and the things that they live by. And it then influences the way that even believers think. That what has then happened is that it has left even the church with what I call a wide, a widespread affliction. It is the affliction of purpose. That's why I believe that maybe in the third week of this month, I have to teach my course Awaken to Your Purpose again. Because I find out that many times people are in a place where I appear, I don't know what to do. I don't know. And I said to them, a couple of things I say, two things or three things. Number one, I say to them, go back to the mandate, dominion mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, replenish, subdue, take dominion. Within these six banners, you will find something to do. You will find something to subdue. Anything that is rebelling against God, create a business around it. Yes, there are people that have become enriched by speaking against certain rebellion. They will invite you to places. They will pay you money to declare the truth. Subdue. If they are giving food products to a generation that will kill them, start a business that sells healthy food products, subdue, feeding on to cancer and death. If they are teaching our children that their sexuality given to them by God is not true, then please write books, set up a school, and declare that the foundation of your school is to restore all children back to the original identity that God gave to them. I'm telling you, me, I'll bring my children to your school. I'm telling you, there are people that are so desperate right now. Forget all this curriculum, this so people will send their children to you just because they know that at the end of the day, the children will not come back to them as half human beings. Anything that is rebelling against God, set up a structure to subdue it. Can somebody hear me? You don't need to ask whether it is the purpose of God. Ah. You don't need to ask whether it's the purpose of God. It is his purpose. So when he gave them the mandate, he didn't tell them, but in this area, but no, 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 no. Go into the whole world. Anywhere in the world, you see it, subdue it. Then he said to them, replenish. I said to you, if there be anything 
that is depleting, that originally represents God, and it is depleting, replenish it. If it has been lost, replenish it. Some of you have fashion designers, or you have fashion on the inside of you. And you see now that the greatest fashion now is how you can craft the material to be as little as possible. Maximum exposure, minimum coverage is the fashion trend. Please, can we replenish the days when the glory of a woman is not in the outward adorning of gold and silver, but a meek and gentle spirit that then necessitates that the woman covers up, replenish. Create garments that are so good and so beautiful that when people wear, in fact, some people don't even have options anymore. Some people don't have options. There are some events you cannot go to because there, there are no decent things anymore that can represent God. Give options, replenish. Replenish marriages. Replenish what is broken and lacking in marriages. There are many young people today that get married and they don't know how to be married because they have never experienced authority and submission in their lives. For some of them, their fathers died early. Their mothers were so desperate to keep them that they did not teach authority. And they started the trend of, oh, we are friends. Listen, before God ever called any man his friend, God would have taken his demand through several testings. You must have shown the Lord that you are in full submission to his ways and his will. And God would have seen how you walk before him. And then it is in the midst of your sacrifice, your dedication, and your submission that God said, Abraham, my friend. Do you know what Abraham lost in the world to be called the friend of God? How does a parent wake up and call your child his friend? Please, I need you to understand the things I'm teaching you today. So when you then see all of this, how about you start a teaching on parenting? Parenting by revelation. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he grows, he will not depart from it. How does a parent know the way that a child should go? It was very specific, the way. That means the way for every human being. There is an assigned path and travel destination for every human being. So how does a parent determine what was imputed into the GPS system of that child's life the day he was made in the womb of God and time? Teach parents that. Replenish whatever is missing. And it goes on and on and on. That is a, a cause for another day. The second thing I say to them is the seed within you. It says be fruitful. When you recognize the seed you carry, you will have a problem with fruitfulness. You will not have a problem being fruitful because a tree does not fight to bring fruit. You just need to plant the seed in the ground. In fact, we don't even have to plant it sometimes. The former fruit just needs to fall. And then when it decays, the seed enters the soil. And the seed just needs to have soil, moisture, sunlight. And it begins to grow and sprout. It is within all of these factors that you then see a new tree emerge. Many people have mango seed in the inside of them, but they want to produce guava. That is why you are having identity crisis. That is why you are struggling. That is why you are in pain. If you follow the path of your seed and you, you study, 
and you, 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 you take time to memorize the principles, the protocols, and the framework of your unique seed, you will not struggle to produce fruit. So what the world teaches you is forget who you are, embrace who we say we want. But when a person is, get, is able to get to the point where you discover the principle of the seed, the value of the seed, the power of the seed, when you embrace all of these things within the dish of the working of the Holy Spirit and the government of God, such a person will become powerful on the earth. Because when God made you, he put the seed on the inside of you and that's what he said. He blessed them. He commissioned you, appointed you, saluted you, gave you designation. And when he did it, he did it before the heavens and the earth. So when you find that thing that God put inside of you, heaven will favor you. Earth will respond to you. The seas, seas will yield their increase to you. Why? Because you are a person that is walking in the original order of God, whom they fear and honor. And you hear me? I want, I want, I want to see you talking in the chat. If you can hear me, drop the pen for one moment and tell me something you have learned. Tell me something you've learned. Tell me something that has struck you, so that I know I can go on. Because I want to believe that I'm helping somebody now to be restored and to return into the place where you can have power and authority, because you are finding again your identity. Praise God, Audrey. Yes, seed has to multiply. Praise God. Set up structures to subdue the things that are rebelling against God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody said ENI, examination, naming, and identification. Fantastic. Yes, study your unique seed. Pursue the dominion mandate. Oh, I love it. You know, go where the enemy has set up shop and build structures to oppose it. Woo! I love the way you put it. Replenish what is missing. Where there is seed, there is fruitfulness. Aha, I am made to think like God, to look like God, not men or culture. Fantastic. A tree does not struggle to bring forth fruits. Ah, hallelujah. Yeah, there's so much. So even me, I'm learning from you people. The way you are organizing it, I need your notes. Ah, praise Jesus. Okay, I can see that everybody is with me. You are all learning. You are all listening. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiration. And thank you, Lord, because you will continue to inspire us. And after these 21 days, we'll be great men walking on the earth in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, as I said, um, after 21 days, we'll be great men walking on the earth. What came to my mind, what I remembered is, uh, and I'm, don't worry, I haven't forgotten what I was teaching, is the Nephilims. And the Bible says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair and they came and they slept with them. What did the Nephilims do? They put their seed on the inside of the daughters of God. So there was already a resident template, which is the eggs. And then they then fertilized it with their own life. And then the Bible says that they were giants of the earth. They were known as the men renowned in their time. So what happened was that a falling God fertilized women to bring forth children 
who were half gods and half men. And these people, by reason of who fertilized them, they became the greatest people of their time. They were called men of renown. Even in stature, they were giants. Now think about what is going to happen to you as the Lord is fertilizing you with the seed of his wisdom for 21 days. There is no way that the performance of your life will not be called a renowned life when you go through a series like this. There is no way that you will stay and press into wisdom and not be called a great man on the earth. It's not possible. People may not like you, but they cannot deny what you can. It's as simple as that. All right. So uh, I was talking about the seed. I was, and that's the second thing, because, you know, I was telling you about the three um, principles, but I'm going to arrive at, 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 at entering into of being clear about what to do and what to build. So I said, sometimes we're overthinking this thing. We're trying to, you know, oh, you know, it has to be, no, 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 no. This is the first strategy you need. It is when you have discovered what God has put inside of you, then you begin to engage mindset and strategies of men to develop it. But the foundational place where you get revelation from must be the word of the Lord by the spirit of God. Now, so the seed. So the seed is on the inside of you. The seed is always in the fruit. The seed is always in the fruit. The seed is always, and as we go forward in identity, and begin to see why it is important for you to not allow things erode the knowledge of self. Because what Satan is doing is that he doesn't want you to see you. Because if you can see you, then you can be everything that God made you be. So he will put distractions, number one. Then he will put traumatic experiences, number two. Trauma from abuse. Trauma from hurt, trauma from grief, trauma from loss. Now, all of these things will then become the very thing that will also make it keep you from seeing yourself. Because when people are greatly traumatized and they don't know how to heal, they just survive. And the only way to survive is to live outside of themselves. Because every time they look in, it now feels like you are the source of your pain because you feel it on the inside of you. So what people do is that they step out of themselves to go through life. But you see, when Jesus came and he began to declare, the first time he held the scrolls, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Now, what was the first outworking of the gospel? He says, to heal the brokenhearted. That was the first thing. Why was it why was it needed? Because the heart is the gateway to man. The heart is the gate to man. Please hear me. So Jesus said, I have to heal the gates so that the man can return to himself. This is why people are traumatized in their souls at very early ages. This is why Satan comes for children. And why do you think abuse is rampant? Why do you think an uncle that was there the day a baby was born, the baby, oh, sister, congratulations. Five years later, six years later, you look at that little girl shaking her tiny bum bum across the house, happy and playful. Something will rise up in that uncle. You would desire to sleep with the girl. It is not natural. The reason why Satan does that is because the same man that could have been a place for blessing can now become an instrument that Satan will use to destroy that child. And trauma is set in the root and the foundation of the person's life. So that going forward from that moment, the way the person sees 
interpret life is already defective. That's why I say to people, be careful who is in your home. Anybody that does not show a measure of fear for God, don't let them stay with you. <laughs> ah, Pierre has said the one that nobody should say. Yes. Put them in your guest chalet. Set up rules about where they enter in your home. Keep your children away. Because anybody that is not possessed by God can be possessed by Satan. Can you hear me? And Satan is always looking a way into your life. So he will use the weakest corners. If the hedge be broken, the Satan will enter. The serpent must enter. The serpent is always looking for a way in. So make sure that the people around you are people that understands the principle of being, of preserving. That's why as much as possible, keep your children with you. Train them, raise them, watch them until you can release them to the world and until they can defend themselves. Please do not leave a defenseless child to the elements of the world. This is your responsibility as a parent because a child's personality and a child's perspective can be corrupted by the trauma they experience. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he grows, he will not depart from it. That means it is in childhood that the course of a person's life is set. <laughs> Can I go on? He said, when he grows, he will not depart from it. There is a certainty concerning the way a person will end up based on how they were raised. When they were children. Because people are not always children. A time will come when they will grow up to be adults. A time will come when they will grow up to be teenagers. They are not always children. It is when they are children you can set them in the ways of the Lord. But if they are set by brokenness, set by fear, set by trauma, you will have to do more work as a parent to restore them. But what the problem is, a traumatized child is a traumatized parent. The moment the parent also realizes what has happened, it destroys confidence as a parent. It destroys your joy, your peace. So by the time the parent and the child is traumatized, it is hard for healing to come. And Christians have not been taught to seek help with professionals. Can I go on? Or have you left the chat? So Satan would then set trauma from childhood it then begins to affect the person's ability to see self. Now, some people, it wasn't when they were children that they were traumatized. Even in growing up, even as adults, people are still traumatized. Traumatized by betrayal. Traumatized by injustice. Traumatized. Let me tell you. Do you know that many, many people are traumatized by their government? Do you know, I sat down early, sometime last year and I looked at Nigerians and said, ah, we are traumatized people. We are traumatized by the injustice of our nation. We are traumatized by the insensitive of insensitivity of our government. We are traumatized by the sorcery of people in power. So that something horrible happens to all of us. And we just cover it up with extreme humor and tell ourselves, ah, <laughs> no matter what happens, we like to laugh. It's not all laughter that God is laughing about. There are some things that we joke about that is a joke to us. We laugh, but heaven is frowning. The one time we speak about he that sits in heaven laughs, he was laughing at the planning that they were planning because he was going to scatter it. 
but he wasn't laughing because they manifested kindness. Sometimes even your humor is a trauma response. Does somebody understand what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Now, what does it do? It then makes it hard for you to look within. Because every time you look on the inside of you, what you see is pain. What you feel is pain. What you feel is low self-esteem. You cannot believe you have sat in a situation for so long and you did not have the audacity to come out of it. Do you know what, what that does to you? Now, Jesus said, the first thing I must do is that I must heal the heart. Even the experiences happen and we cannot change that, but I must restore them to the setting of love, peace, joy. That's why when God was about to build the kingdom in men, one of the first things he says, he says that the kingdom is within you. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus never begins to build a kingdom with you if he has not first established the kingdom in you. Righteousness, peace, joy. Righteousness. He restores you because some of the things that have happened to you have left you in a wrong standing with God. That's why sometimes people will do things to you that will shift you into this. Instead of going to report them to God, the first thing you should be crying out is mercy. Mercy upon you. Because there's a person will insult you, it will shift your heart. There's a way a person will abuse you, it will shift your mind. It will change your personality. So even though you are justified to report them before the courts of heaven, even if justice is meted out to them, but is the justice of restoration meted out to you? So sometimes it's not even what about what they did that matters. It is how we changed who you are. That's what matters. So sometimes you may be the one that is being hurt, but your cry is for mercy. So that in the mercy of God, he holds you. He will help you to not lose the boundaries of consecration because of the pain you have experienced. It is mercy that keeps you from doing the same thing that was done to you, mercy. Only the mercy of God can navigate the circumstances of life. God will change national policies. God will remove people from offices. God will close road, physical roads. He will cause there to be a huge bottle. You'll just be passing there, say, ah, overnight. This road just broke. Why? Because we're about to pass there to go and visit somebody that you would have visited and your destiny would have ended on the table of a sorcerer, an astrologer, a witch doctor, or on the bed of a strange woman. God will physically break a road so that you cannot drive there. That's why you'll be calling, man, I did everything I could do. I just couldn't make it. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Mercy. Because what was driving you there was true brokenness. If King Saul understood the things I'm teaching you today, the moment Saul began to feel envy for David and his heart started to shift, what Saul should have done was that he should have fallen before the Lord and said, I'm a weak man. I thought that, hey, this is my new identity. I'm the king of Israel. But Yes, I sit as the king. I have the image of royalty. 
Or do I feel like a king? Do I understand on the inside of me that royalty is in the blood? Yes, they may say David has killed 10,000 and I 1,000, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm the first king of Israel. I'm the person that can give it legally to another generation. So for Saul to be removed, he had to be disqualified. So the only remedy for disqualification is mercy. Can somebody hear me? Because many of us have been disqualified because of the weighty emotional things we could not handle. That our expression changed, judgment changed, activities changed, nature changed, because you could not bear the weight of the pain or the weight of the deception. And then you engaged in activities that disqualified you. And what that spiritual disqualification does, it then results in a physical disqualification. This is how people have lost inheritance that should have belonged to you, but your grandfather lost it. Saul should have fallen and pleaded for mercy. Now, I'm still on the seed because remember we are on identity. And I told you that the second protocol is identity and foundation because identity is foundational. And I was telling you that your personal identity refers to your distinct characteristics, qualities, attributes, and all of this defines you. So I am taking you back to the foundation of it all. Now, I'm saying to you about the seed. So man's inability to look in necessitates that generations have been raised, that were raised not out of the pattern of the seed within, but out of the pattern of survival on the outside. The seed is a pattern. The seed is expression. The seed is direction. The seed is blueprints. The seed is the life you were called to live. Now, when you then have a forbearer that was traumatized, you then realize that what he transfers to the next generation, because the seed of a, gen a current generation is a product of the fertilization of the previous generation. Now, when the previous generation is fertilized, or, or traumatized, or has gone through various circumstances in life, and it has broken the knowledge of their identity, what then happens is that that generation then begins to build no longer from the pattern of the seed within, but begins to build from the pattern of survival that is on the outside. So that what happens is that that entire household is locked into a new image that was not necessarily the image that was given to them by God. Is somebody with me? And then this image is transferred as a seed to the next generation because the fertilization of a current generation determines the productivity of that generation. And what they produce is a product of what they were fertilized by. So if that current generation was fertilized by the need to survive, they need to make money, they need to be great, they need to show off, they need to make sure that nobody messes with you, they will produce the next generation in the image of their fertilization. So you then have another generation that is born, and the only blueprint that that generation knows is survive, make money, 
show your neighbors. That's all. You then realize that by the fourth generation, the concept or even the dignity of the seed has generated, degenerated. So from time to time, the generations will begin to have dreams. They will sleep and have visions of themselves as completely different people. And they will wake up and say, ah, I had a funny dream. I mean, it has nothing to do with who I am right now. Who told you that? What if that is who you really are? And it is the seed of God screaming from the inside of you. What if it is that you really are? And the seed of the spirit is taking advantage of the sleep of the night and the deadening of physical senses to scream out what your true identity should be. Joseph is sleeping. He's sleeping as the 11th son of Jacob, the despised son of the brothers, the one that is envied. That is his physical identity. But in his sleep, he sees his true identity raised up above his household to become the one that they all bow before. Please, you must be careful as a sibling. Do not break the seed of God on the inside of your children or in the inside of those that were entrusted to you by God to have authority over. Don't break the seed of identity. Because that was the attempt that the brothers were attempting. In fact, you see that when, when Jacob put the coat of many colors on Joseph, it wasn't even necessarily the full identification of who Joseph was. Because the first time that the Bible spoke in many contexts, because every time you read the scripture, you have to go to the law of first mention. The first time that many colors were mentioned, even the ideas of colors, was in the rainbow. And the rainbow was a mark of covenant of preservation. So when J J Jacob, Abbey, what was, Jacob put the coat of many colors on Joseph, it was a mark of God's covenant of preservation through jo Joseph. So if the brothers had arms, what they should have seen was that God was marking Joseph as the one that would preserve them. But within their time and within the wealth of their father's house, they could not see how Joseph could be the one because there was no trouble. So many times the purpose of a man and the identity of a man is not everything in the context of safety that you're experiencing. It is in the day of troubles that you know who a person really is. That's why the Bible says a brother, a friend is born for the day of adversity. I don't meet my friends because of the days that of enjoyment. I look out for people that stick with me when I'm in my lowest. People who will still boldly declare that this is my friend, no matter what life looks like. Because a true brother, a true friend is born for the day of adversity. God doesn't give friendship for enjoyment. The people that only want to follow me because I'm buying tickets for them, I back you. But the ones that say, Pierre, this thing you're about to do is hard. I'm with you. This is my back. Lie down. The ones that tell me, go to bed. Pierre, I can call you and say, I, I don't feel like myself. Please pray for me. And you will not look and say, hey, that one. From time to time, she doesn't even stop. No, that's not a brother. That's not a friend. Is somebody listening to me? Brothers can disappoint, but God gives friends for covenant. That's why David had men like Jonathan. Jonathan said to him, my father is about to kill you. Sometimes friends, we go past the, the protocols of their father's house to preserve their friendships. That's what a friend is. 
They talk about a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That means there are places that brothers will not go with you, friends will go with you. So you now begin to understand that friendship sometimes is thicker than blood. Can you hear me? Blood can leave you, friends will stay. That's why Jesus is not just your brother. He's also your friend. So he covers his bases on every area. Let us go back quickly to where we're coming from because we're still on the topic of identity. So you then begin to realize that Satan is consistently trying to deplete the revelation of seed inside of people so that by the time you hit fourth generation, nobody even has an idea that there was an order or agenda. Can you hear me? Imagine if David did not rescue Mephibosheth. By, the, by two generations after Mephibosheth, nobody in that lineage would remember that they were supposed to be kings. For those who don't remember, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And David made a covenant with Jonathan that he would preserve him and preserve his seed. And he was going to make Jonathan his second in command, which we all know was not God's plan. That's why Jonathan had to die in the battle with his father. Because by reason of the covenant that he struck with David, David would have been obligated to make Jonathan his second. But Jonathan could not be the one ruling beside David because David, uh, because David needed to hand the, the kingdom over to Solomon. Now, there are many things that Jonathan's existence would have affected. Jonathan would then have been obligated to preserve his father's house and to keep certain sons of Saul, which could not be for David to survive. Are you hearing me? So Jonathan was a good man. But sometimes when you are friends with great men, there's a price that comes with it. Because David was a great man. Jonathan was a good man. They will be here, I'm sure they are friends today. But you see, uh, the people you journey with can determine the circumstances of your life, sometimes even the lifespan of your life. Are we together? All right. Now, I'm not saying you should run away from great people, no. I'm say, happy, I'm saying, my friends will take great man, you want to die for his sake, you know. Um, so, I'm not saying you should run away, but understand the principles of life so that when you are standing with a great man, David, try to reduce him. I don't like people who like to reduce people. What does it take? What, 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 what? Like, it's like me meeting, I have friends that are great people. Even in the way I message them, I don't message them and speak rubbish to them. Friends that have, I'm not talking about, oh, I had the seed of greatness on the inside, we all do. But I'm talking about people that have labored to be where they are and to be who they are. Because nobody becomes something by mistake. Now, you will sit down and look at me, teach you 42 messages in the space of 21 days. Messages that back to back are delivering pathways of wisdom to you. And you want to talk to me in fully. Does that make any sense? Or you want to hide, it's not be you. Actually, no be me. Because if you really knew me, you would know that the order of your conversation and analysis should change. I don't know if anybody else, and it's not pride. It is called the protocols of kingship abiding with people of influence. 
If your plan is to, if your plan of showing that we are pals is to remind the person where they are coming from, then you have failed. Because nobody that has fought to come out of a thing wants to be reminded that they were once there. Rather, they are more comfortable with people who are stimulating them to where they are going to and how to sustain themselves in humility in where they are. Can anybody hear me today? I feel like... So one day on this course, I will teach you on building my honor, the code of honor, the code of honor. As you can already tell, you can already tell that this course will not end this month. Praise Jesus. It will not end, it cannot end. It will go on. It will go on. But let us do the one that God has first commanded us and see what he gives us strength to do after that. So, as you begin to observe the way God operates, please, Pastor Stephanie, check up on all your all the POI leaders and make sure they are here. Pastor Bambi, check up on all your MOD leaders. Make sure they are here. Because I don't want to start speaking to when she later in the year. And you cannot hear my language when I say move. Because doctrine is the differentiating factor between men. When doctrine aligns, power will align. When doctrine is out of order or misaligned, the strength to journey together will be misaligned. So anybody you want to journey with you, raise them to the level of your doctrine. And tell my PA, join my class. Tell my head of media, join my class. Tell, I don't care the job you are doing, whether it's a join. Because if our doctrine is misaligned, it's going to be hard for you to work for me. That's why people who want to work for God but they don't know God's personalities, are bound to do rubbish. They will do what they believe God wants. And then at the end, God will just light fire, burn it to ashes. It's the same way you work with a of influence, you work with a CEO. You believe that it is your right to come and show them that they don't know what they are doing. No. Go back to the seed of who they are. Build from their seed. And they will respect you and treasure you forever. Okay. So let's go back. Uh, identity. So I said the second thing is the seed. I believe that I've made some, you know, um, movement forward for you for the seed. Now, the third level is your personality, who you are on the inside. So I was saying to know what to build. Number one, follow the dominion mandate. Number two, follow the seed. Follow the seed. The seed comes naturally to you. This is your innate grace, innate capacity, innate desires, your innate skills. All of that is the seed. Then number three, I said, your personality. Now, going back to the subject of trauma in childhood, many people's personalities have cracked. So many times they don't even really know who they are. So they are living out a version of themselves that was remodeled for survival. But if we were left to the originality of God's creation, you will find out that many people will choose different paths in life and will build different things in this life that is different from what they are doing right now. 
This is why you must preserve your children. I cannot overstate this. Preserve them. Be a rock. Ask questions. There's a visitor in your house. Your son is inside the room for 40 minutes. What are they doing there? What's happening? Are we are come out. Praise Jesus. Uncle went to shower and said I should wait for him. You should wait for uncle. So uncle will come back and undress in front of you. If I come out of there, have I taught you nothing? Listen, it's not because you don't trust the people. It is because you don't trust the world and you don't trust the kingdom of darkness. Because of that, you preserve. Because it, and it's not just from sexual abuse. Those are not the only things that traumatize. There are things they could see. There are things they could hear, conversations they hear. There's a way they could hear you and the spouse quarrel. It will traumatize them. The husband and the wives are bragging about who consults the most. You are a bastard. You are a monkey. Your father, your mother. You are mad. You are crazy. It will not be good for you, your generations. Do you understand? Then they will move from normal insult and enter KJV. War is you. War upon you. Please. And the children are hearing this. Do you understand? They are hearing all of this. They are hearing the NIV and the KJV insults. It is breaking something on the inside of them. And you see, what then happens is that when the children are traumatized, they grow up to be adults that need this masterclass. Because if they were left originally in their original nature and construction, they would naturally do the things that they were created to do. So many people have survival jobs, survival careers. If they were left to do what they want to do, they would do something completely different. No matter where I go, I will always be a teacher. No matter what I do in this life, I will always be a teacher. As a matter of fact, some friends that have left me and the issues I've had with people is because the teacher in me comes out when I'm supposed to just be anyhow as a friend. So it then goes into being, why do you think you can tell me what to do or who to be? Why, why are you trying to talk as a child? But it, the problem is I'm a teacher. That's the only problem. Don't be angry. I don't mean to. I just find myself schooling people. I don't mean to. I just find myself saying, why did you do that? Have you Consider that maybe there are three things I think may be the issue you are having. That, as I've said, the fact that I numbered your problem, it can make some people mad. But I'm not trying to insult you. It's the way my mind works. I must think through things and it must arrive at the simplest form for me to understand it. And once I can understand a thing, I can bear it. But what I cannot understand, I cannot bear. But you see, I found out that it is insulting to people when you try to communicate to them on the level of learning, because nobody came to you for school, they just came for a relationship. Nobody is trying to marry a teacher, they just want to marry a wife. I don't know if somebody understands what I'm saying. So it's a seed on the inside of me. It's a seed on the inside of me. It's who I am. Recently, I started to remember that even from when I was a child, they always used to look for me. You see, where you see they, where you see Because you see, we go to a corner. And also the idea is, I just want to be alone. Why? I want to think. You want to think. At seven years old, six, what are you thinking? Do you know what? Spell think. Do you understand? It's the same way my son told me which day. He said, mommy, I just intentionally 
And I said, Judah, come. Spell intentionally. He said, what? I said, spell it. If you can use it, you should be able to spell it. I said, spell it. He will tell me, I literally, what do you know is the meaning of literally? You are three years old for crying out loud. Do you understand? So exactly, it is our child, we say basically. Now, but then as I looked at him, I didn't realize that that used to be me. That used to be me. In fact, today I was talking to my media guy and I said, you know, Kachi, we need to think through this very carefully. And Judah happened to be in the room. I thought he was doing so much. And he turned around, he said, what's the meaning of think through? How do you think through something? I said, Judah, please wait. Let me finish my session first. I can't, I can't explain that one now. But that is me. So I then realized that that's a seed. It takes nothing for me to change a topic. I just need to know the topic and know the expectation. And I craft an entire curriculum around it. Why? Because it is my seed. So being a coach, being a teacher, being a trainer was given to me by God. That's why I can set up a business and run courses. And I make money from my seed. Because it is where I don't know if somebody can hear me. Another seed on the inside of me is the apostolic. That is a ministerial seed. So part of my ministerial seed is building, crafting, having the daring audacity to move. So it is my teacher that checks my apostolic. Because my teacher will say, see, apostle, come back, come back, come back. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Come back, builder, runner, come, come, come. What does the Bible say, apostle? So the teacher checks the apostolic to make sure that before I start to run and start to exert the grace of the apostolic, it is within the order of truth. Is somebody with me? So that third level is your personality. Who are you? Who are you? There's strength in every human. There's strength in every personality. So you have to then find how to build based on these three levels of identity and identification. The first level is follow the dominion mandate, find the seed. And then the third level is personality. What are your likes? What are your dislikes? So you then realize that it is, we have to explore your multifaceted nature, nature, your personal identity by examining both your internal and external um, influences that shape the sense of self that you have. You have to dive deep into the concept of identity formation because there are different stages in life where identity is formed. There's a, the stage of being conceived in the womb. Um, um, David was speaking at the psalmist. He said, in my mother's womb, I was fashioned in iniquity. So there is a fashioning. To fashion a thing means you cut by dimension. You stitch by vision. You present according to expectation. That's fashioning. Dimension, present, uh, pre dimension, hey, see me, oh, teacher. I'm missing the one in the middle. Dimension presentation, what's in between? I said, you cut according to dimension, you stitch according to expectation, and you present, uh, you stitch according to vision, present according to expectation. So you then realize that these three things are at work when a baby is in the womb. 
That's why God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you entered your mother's womb, I already had a vision concerning you. So while you were being fashioned, while you were being bone was formed, nose was being formed, there is a dimension. I thank God for my brothers and sisters in the faith that have redone their bodies. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, is it because you see, should I go here? Should I go here? Let me go in Jesus' name. That's why when we get to heaven, when we enter our glorified bodies, we will not be able to recognize some of ourselves. Because that sister, oh brother, that has made you leave your wife because you said to yourself, hey, die here. God, see backside, see front side. Just look at a creature. You have finished your life upon the parameters that you have observed. You will not get to heaven and realize, uh -uh. sister Delilah, what happened to the dimensions upon which I slew my ministry? I find that her sister Delilah does not possess it in eternal life. Because in the original formation, according to the dimensions of God's intention, Sister Delilah did not really have it. Praise God. Now, you then realize that every single thing was dimensioned by God. He said, before you were formed, I knew you, I called you, I ordained you. Down to the voice, down to the pitch of your voice, to the color of your face, to the way your hair looks, everything was dimensioned by God. Okay, so all of us will be shocked. You will get there now. It is when we get to heaven, some of my Caucasian friends will realize that I really have coily hair because they don't used to do this thing. You understand? No, sister, I thought that you were actually blonde. I'm not blonde. Praise Jesus. I have a hair texture we call in Nigeria. Coco, it's that you, you comb it and leave it for two minutes. It will, it will spring back by itself. I roll up, you'll get. So by reason of this, I have to help myself to be able to reach all men. But I also recognize that I was dimensioned by God. But you then also realize that it is not only the ones that did the body. There are also things that we are eating, that we are being fed. Hormonal imbalances, all kinds of experiences of life. You almost see you get to heaven, a brother that you thought was Johnny Bravo here on earth. You now get to heaven and realize that even one pack, he did not really have to the dimension of the Lord. What will you then do? You see, sir. You know, so, but my point is identity. You have to get comfortable with who God made you to be. And I'm not saying get comfortable with craziness. So, you say, oh, you know, it's who I am. I'm just like, like, I'm just rude. Like people say it's rude. People are not saying you are actually rude. You get what I'm saying? If one person said it, two people was dead person, auntie, you are a rude person. Don't say people don't understand me. You know, it's just the way, like, I talk with force. You have a problem of presentation. You may have language, but speech presentation is defective. Pray. I pray for myself every day. If you see me crying in prayer, if it's not that I'm being overwhelmed by Jesus, 
Just know that I'm praying about my weaknesses because I know them. I know them. And many of our weaknesses are born out of our strengths because in the area that you are strong becomes the very area that people become unbearable to you when it possess that thing. So you then begin to realize why God, why God couples strength sometimes with weakness. So that in all things we will remember that we are who we are by the mercies of God. So when I talk about personality, I'm not saying that um, you should say, oh, you know, this is <laughs> once it is truncating scriptures, it is something to be dealt with. Okay? It's something to be dealt with. Um, but I'm saying that there are some things that are inherently you. If you're going to build effectively in this season, you have to go back to all of that. All right, now, I want to run quickly. Look, I know you are talking about me. You are talking about how I said I was going to finish at 8 o'clock. I know all the things that you say, okay? But we're just going to do, do this because... <laughs> Because I am not teaching about identity tomorrow because this is still protocol two. We have to go to the third protocol and the fourth one. You understand? So all of us, let's be humble. Humble. Don't gossip my matter. Okay? <laughs> all right. Fantastic. You say, I love, I love these people. Thank you so much. All right, no, 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 let's go in. I, I, there are some really important things that um, I have to tell you before we go live here today, really important things. Um, remember, you know, please make sure you go back and watch all of this. Make sure you go back and watch it all. I don't think the evening sessions will be put on Priory. I think they'll be put on EC Genegua channel. I don't know. I'll leave that to media and Pastor Stephanie. But please go back and watch the evening sessions and watch them with your notebook. Don't miss any points. Because I'm teaching, 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 teaching. Um, now, we have talked about identity and I've done pretty much you know, some coverage on it. Now, I want to tell you how to explore the factors that have influenced your personality. Okay. Now, these factors are categorized into two dimensions. The first dimension is internal and second dimension is external. Now, to understand these dimensions, you are able to comprehend the complexities of your personal identity. Now, the, the internal factors pretty much relate to your innate characteristics, the traits that make you who you are, that make you unique. So some of these things are like your genetic predispositions, your inherited personality traits, your innate talents or abilities. So sometimes like your genetic makeup dispose um, you to certain physical attributes or certain psychological dispositions, you know. Um, however, within your personality traits, you know, um, within your genetic makeup, it can greatly affect your personality, um, so your identity. So you can say things like, people say, oh, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert and all of that. Some of those things were headed down from from in the bloodline. You know, some of those things were handed down because that was all you saw modeled to you. You didn't know any other way to live life. So, but internally, there are some things you are internally that you cannot shake off. So for example, myself, internally, I like to be alone. 
I have tried to be different, but I actually like it. I love when I'm with people that I'm comfortable with, I can be with you for long. One of my love languages is time, you know, to spend in communication, you know, quality time. I love to spend time. And when you don't want to spend time with me, as far as I'm concerned, what you're saying is that you don't love me. That's how I, I hear it. That's how I see it. So I love to spend time. So when people come to my house, I'm trying to get you to stay for my friends, drivers, they all know. They, when they tell their drivers, oh, let's just quickly stop by at Apostle's house, all the drivers are done. Be like, say, you go drive yourself. But the drivers know that their madams will not come out till four hours or five hours' time. So I'm repenting and I'm like, God, I don't want my house to be a trap. Like, it's like you come in and you are locked in there. Or sometimes, the ones that are not married, ah, I'm always trying to get people to stay. Just stay. Now I have a guest room. Just stay. I'll go and get you my nightwear. Do you have toothbrush? I have toothbrush. You don't have, I have soap. I'm ready for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I love to spend time with people that I love. That's how I am. Now, I can't shake it. But also, I love to spend time with so I can love you want to spend time with, with you. And we can be in the same house, same room. And I'm in my corner for five hours doing my thing. But just the fact that you are around and I can feel you are around is, is everything that I need. Is everything that I need. Now, I can't shake that. So when I get overwhelmed, when I do peopling a lot, it breaks something on the inside of me. The reason why I'm able to effectively teach you is because I have not spoken to 99.9% .9 of you throughout today. If you now track me in long conversations, long engagement, it breaks something that is inherently me that makes it possible for me to spring out with revelation. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, that, that is so sweet. Yes, you're spending time with me. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so it makes it hard for me. So it's part of my makeup. You know, I can I can be, I am comfortable being in one room for 24 hours. No problem. I can travel to a nation and stay in an apartment for seven days. When I'm done, back, back, leave the nation and go back. And I did not leave one place. But at the same time, there are times when I'm an explorer. So if I stand to learn something from what I'm going to see in that land, oh, I love to explore. So there are certain things that are inherently me. And by realizing my internal makeup has helped me to preserve myself from certain external factors that want to change me and we sit together so the external factors encompass the environmental social and cultural influences that shape your personal identity so there are different things that have happened like that to people so as i speak to you i want you to sometimes to write those things down you know recently i was thinking about my husband you know when we travel my husband is a completely different person. Don't tell him. Okay? Make sure he doesn't hear. He may be here and I'm in trouble, but to God be my glory. So we travel. My husband is different. My husband is like an introvert. My husband is like, you know, I just want to sit here. I just want to be here. You know, he's a completely different person. He's a lot calmer. He's... But when my husband enters Nigeria, Lagos precisely, uh -huh. you say what? Beware. Why here? He says, son of the wind. Do you understand? As I hear the get, he has one shoe. Uncle, where are you headed to? Do you understand? There's always a destination. 
And initially, it used to drive me crazy. When we got married, I would cry, oh, cry, oh, hey, where well, he has gone out, he has gone. Do you know, after I realized that it is who he is, my husband like outside. Do you get what I'm saying? He loves engaging with people. It doesn't deplete him in any way. But me, oh, I'm finished. If I do that too much, I can't, I can't bear it. But he doesn't, as a matter of fact, he's enriched by engagement. He's enriched by conversation and physical meetup, you know, but that's not who I am. So for such a man, if he's going to be used greatly by God, you need to give him somewhere to go to. Is anybody understand what I'm talking about? Give him somewhere to go to. Give him engagements. It's how such people are useful in the hand of the Lord. So, but I said it, I spoke about him within the light of external factor. You get what I'm saying? There's something about this nation that affects him really greatly because his people are here, his business is here, his activities is here. But me, on the other hand, I build my environment to fit my internal. But his expressions usually happen within the context of his social factor, which is really one of the external factors. Do you get what I'm talking about? So the social factors, are they pertain to like the interactions and relationships an individual has with others. You understand? People you interact with, your family, your friends, your colleagues, all of these things have the capacity to affect your identity. That's why you must allow all of them be governed by the spirit. So from cultural norms to traditions, all of those things can greatly affect the person that you are and shape your personality. Now, the second thing under identity that you have to remember is understand how cultural and social things impact your identity. I've spoken about that. You know, even, um, even like traditions, you know, there are some people that I've, I've counseled a couple of people who maybe they married spouses from a place in Nigeria in certain tribes. There are certain categories of people they call Osus in Nigeria. And an Osu basically means, I think, a slave. I think that's what it, it means. You know, or like um, the one you don't touch, you get. Now, what is the story of the Osu? There are many stories. Outcasts, thank you. There are many stories. Um, as to how they became what they call Osus. And I put this because really, if we're in Christ. Now, but over the years, culturally and traditionally, it has affected the mindset of the people. So that even when a person meets a person that they love, and even if the person tells you, I love you, by the time it is getting close to marriage, insecurity begins to build up on the individual that is the Osu. Will your parents agree? Will your family receive me? Will I be allowed to this? Will the insecurities start to build up? And even the way that the insecurities then play out, it can play out in self-sabotaging things that you do. And then you know, say, I don't know, I don't know, it has never really worked out with anybody. But many times they're self-sabotaging because they're already afraid that when it gets to the place with commitment, forever commitment, they will not be received. Now, I have had to counsel some people that are going to get married, and one of them is maybe an Osu in court. And then you see how this cultural norm 
can affect a person's personality. Sometimes a person wants to be big and self-assertive and you know, wants to do great and grand gestures for the other person to show that, look, I am the one you should be with. Forget about this thing. Look at what you've been missing if you are not with me. They go past themselves and they are sometimes they will allow their boundaries to be broken because somehow they've been convinced you can never get a person of worth as long as you are still seen as an outcast. Now, that is a cultural external factor that has the potential to affect a person's personality. Sometimes it could be things like socioeconomic status, gender, race, ethnicity. You know, all of these things can shape your perspective. Why am I talking to you about this? It's because you are a builder. And because God is raising you up to be one of the people that he will use to craft effective systems on earth. If your inside is not fully restored, you will not have the power to make the right decisions on the outside. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the, uh, the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart flows the affairs of life. So what you see in a man's life is a product of the affairs in his heart. What is marinating in his heart, what he's thinking of. But when you see a person begin to grow, know that the things that they are thinking of has changed. That's why I love to teach. I can give you prayer points. You will pray them, you will see answers. But the answers do not have the power to transform your life. I can teach you to pray to get wealth and you get money. But it doesn't mean you'll be sustained in wealth. Because if the broken man that receives money, he would only use his money to facilitate his brokenness. But if that man is healed and restored when he receives money, what he does with the money will be determined by the state of peace in his heart. So this is why I love to teach people. So you then realize that it is important to recognize that societal expectations and stereotypes can sometimes lead to marginalization and exclusion. In itself can lead to a kind of different dynamics of how you see yourself. So I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that if there be anybody on this call, that whether it be internal or external factors, do you understand that have affected you? I pray the healing of God over you in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I preach the gospel. But the first thing that I preach that the gospel is able to do is that hearts that are broken are restored. A broken heart is not that a person left you at the altar. But a broken heart means that your thought is fragmented. Your pattern of imagination has become straight. It means that the way that you see and you define things has been broken by an experience. So I pray that you will be remolded by the love and the peace of God so that you can now begin to imagine like God and structures that are for God. You will not do like the men that build the Tower of Babel. Hold the Hearts of the men of that time had become evil. So the only kind of structure they could imagine to build was a structure that would be a gate for dark demonic entities. So pray you will not be like them, but God will restore your heart. Anything it may be, any factor it may be that have 
come together to bring you into a place where you no longer see your seed or desire to leave from the sheep. I pray that God will heal that point and that part of you in the name of Jesus. Be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be restored according to the desire of God and by the power of the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two things you should just take home with you is that as you go back and you pray and you study everything I've taught you today, still on the topic of identity, I want you to reflect on what I call identity development through time. How you can develop who you are and who you are known to be and how you are seen. Yesterday, I taught you about identity. Many of us are good. But the way we present ourselves to the world is not good. So people then say you are not good because your presentation is not good. So you have to understand that who you are on the inside and how you are seen is two different things. Preach the God. But also, don't try to present the image that you are not. Make sure that you are working strategies to present the view you, not the you are forming so that people will believe in life. So make sure you are working on identity development. You can change. I have an entire teaching on how to change. How to change. I have it. I think it's, it's attached to one of my courses. So you can change. I've seen the Lord do it firsthand. That I struggled. I'm like, God, I can't. And God just tells me, be consistent in prayer. So identity development is not a linear process. It is fluid and is affected by many things. It's affected by the inner strength of the spirit and you know the tutelage of the word of the Lord. But it can also be affected by external factors. The people that God brings into your life, you know, the society that you relocate to, um, all of these things can, the circumstances of your world can change suddenly. All of these things are important in the way you build. So this journey of self-discovery is very, very important. Please, ask Lord to show you and to teach you how to go on this journey of identity development. You also have to explore your cultural foundations. And I always teach about this. Explore all the cultural foundations, all the very things that they said, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is where we have come from. This is how we talk in this house. All of those things go back to it. Because it has the capacity to affect your worldview and your kingdom view. So go back to your um, cultural foundations, okay? Um, the next thing you should hold on to on that identity is building self-awareness. Remember my favorite scripture? Message version, Ephesians um, 4, verse 6 to 8, or 6, verse 4, 8. I always mix it up. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the life you have been given. When you are found, do not compare yourself with other people. But each one of you must do Galatians. Each one of you must do the creative best that you can with your own life. Somebody should put up that scripture. Very important, self-awareness. Self-awareness. Self-awareness will help you set boundaries. 
There are many people who teach about certain boundaries, certain this, but boundaries should come from who you are inherently. There's things I don't mind. Do you understand? There's some things I don't mind. When you see me with the people that are on my team or that I mentor, there's a manner in which I'm relaxed with them. I don't mind. For me, that's not a boundary. You know, there are some people that to them, ah, you can't come near the holy man of God. You understand? No matter who you are, you understand? The way you want to talk to them, you kneel down. It's not a boundary for me. I'm fine with that. I don't have the thing inside me that triggers that. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. But some people have so good. Now, um, when you then also think about it in, in that light, you then realize that um, so boundaries should come from the inside. But there are some other things that matter to me. You get what I'm talking about? Based on the things that matter to me, I then set my boundaries. Uh, so self-awareness is very important. Um, so be able to recognize and understand your own thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors. Those are the three pillars of self-awareness. Be able to recognize and understand your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors. Three different things. Be self-aware of the thoughts that you have that trigger negative emotions that result in toxic behaviors. Very important. Then be able to recognize the thoughts, the godly thoughts that trigger fantastic emotions and that cause you to have excellent behaviors. Self-awareness. So I'm not asking you to be aware outside of the context of Christ. Now, somebody may listen to this message and say, oh, please, I'm leaving. This is like, oh, gosh, I thought I was coming here for fire power. Let's say, I've been at this thing for years and I've seen many things. When you go down to the root of it all, check the people who were great in God. And I say great in God by the fruits of their life. You will find out that these people understood all these principles. And they go to scriptures like whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are worthy of revelation, whatsoever things are good. Because the thing on this, they, they knew and they would pray past like, Lord, heal my heart. Lord, touch me. Lord, transform me. Lord, make me a better woman. Make me a better man. Jesus, I want to give myself to you. Go and look at all of them. These were the things that they gave themselves to that made them the people that were great before God. On all of the things that Moses did, Moses was called one of the, he was called the meekest of all the men that would ever raised. How would God not use him powerfully? So when I teach you these principles, please don't despise them. Because the average sermon in a church now is 30 minutes, 40 minutes. They say people cannot sit down and listen to long sermons. And I ask myself, really? What happened to the day when Paul would teach and men like Eutychus would fall from the, from the building because they were falling asleep because of the length of the message? And then they would go and resurrect him from the dead, bring him back into the teaching and continue teaching. And they let us see who else would try to die to escape. Who will bring you back to life, bring you back to class. This was the way the gospel became powerful in men. 
So I'm teaching you all of these things because the time that is spent on stage is not enough to develop character in it. It is not enough. It is not enough to do doctrine in any person. It is not enough. How many people here go for midweek services? How many? The church has changed because the people have changed. And the people have changed because the doctrine has changed. So now we are adjusting everything in the church to fit the current culture of people. We're adjusting. If not, you will not find anybody in your church. Is somebody with me? But I don't want to be a scared shepherd. I don't want to be a fearful teacher. I want to believe that the word of God is powerful enough to keep men in their seats. I want to believe that the word of God is powerful enough to take on the interest of a person and make their spirits jump. So I will spend my time in prayer and in the word so that I may consistently have the right answer when I stand before men. Because the Bible says that the lips of the priest must preserve knowledge. You cannot call yourself a priest and you do not preserve knowledge. You are not a priest. You must always have knowledge to give to people. So part of the knowledge I'm giving to you today is as you are talking about building from the protocol of identity, please rebuild self-awareness. Do you understand? And I told you three pillars, your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors. Please go and study them. Go and study them. How do you get to that place where you break down completely? What begins it? What starts it? Because it is not that many of you don't have vision. It is that you don't have staying power and building power. It is not that many of you don't have courage and audacity, but it is that there is a string of fear inside you. Once Satan plays it like you, all you need is a statement to play that string and you give up on what you were planning to do. Find it out. Be very self-aware. So under self-awareness, think about your personal values. Understand your personal values. All of us have personal values that matter to us. Do you understand? Whether or not you, you, you like it, it, it is what it is. So your personal values are your deeply held beliefs and the principles that guide your choices. So... Do you know many people will say, oh, I don't know how I married that person. I don't even know what I was thinking when I married. Oh, gosh, because we're not alike him anyway. Auntie, oh, calm down. Let me bring you here. The reason why you married the person is actually because deep down on the inside of you, that choice is who you are. Are you listening to me? That choice is really who you are. Deep, deep down, you have a messianic complex. And your messianic complex makes that. You do not think about personal benefits as much as you think about saving other people. And when it came to marriage, you distinguish between which personal value should be at the top of your list when you were going to make that decision. So the personal value of Messiah saved them all became top of your list. And then you married somebody you should save as opposed to marrying somebody that you should draw from. It was a factor. For another person, you, the truth is you married your lost. 
you married your bride. You went and married somebody from the village because there's something on the inside of you that needs to remain. You always have to feel as if you are very smart and intelligent. Now, fast forward five years later, you are going through a serious issue and the person cannot give you any kind of intelligent solution. You are angry. Don't be angry. Don't say, I don't know why. It's okay. Because you made a value deep down on the inside of you. It, it just didn't come to the surface because you did not attend my builder's masterclass. But I thank God that has brought us to this junction of life. So that going forward, as you will do the exercises I'm giving to you, you will begin to raise up, raise to the top what the values are. Some of you, you just need to feel safe and secure. That's why you never told your family all the creepiness about the person you said and do to. Because there's, it's, there's something inside of you that cannot afford to feel like you made a mistake because all your life you were bashed for not being good enough. So you grew up and one of your personal values became safety and self-esteem. So even though you knew that there was something wrong with you, you could not admit to the world and to your family that you were wrong and you went ahead. Are you still with me? Or oh, this is the point when I lose half of my class. You are building. And you're going to build everything up. Because there is a God that gives beauty for ashes. There is a God that restores. Just that. So all of these personal values, deeply held beliefs and principles, they guide your choices of behavior and your interactions with the world. You know, so they serve as a compass that shape your thoughts, your decisions, your actions, and they influence your overall sense of identity. Identifying and understanding the values are crucial in providing the framework of making meaningful decisions and establishing the priorities of your life. I pray in the name of Jesus that the things I'm teaching will not go over your head, but I pray that they will enter your spirit. I pray that they will enter your spirit. One of the reasons why David was not quick to deal with people is because whether or not he knew it then, one of his values was inclusion because he was greatly excluded as a child. Remember, they did not even remember that David was a member of the family. When Samuel came to anoint the sons of Jesse, he saw Eli, he saw the As he saw them coming one by one, he said, ah, this must be the next king of it. This, why? Because God told him to anoint Saul and he saw Saul's stature. So he felt like this is God's parameter for kingship. Now, when he was about to anoint the second time, he was looking out for the things that he saw in the first one. But God was rejecting all of them. And they said to him, they said, ah, this, is, ah, these are all my sons. Ah. Samuel sat down and said, but God, you said there's somebody from this house. But they said they don't. He not said, are you people sure? They don't say, oh, oh, that monkey, they said. There's one uh, um, David. Last child, it's not, it's our son, but it's not really like our son. We don't understand his behavior. He likes to stay with sheep. He doesn't like to talk to people. He's introvert. 
He, he likes saying big, big stories that are not true. The other day he came, he said he killed lion. The other day he came, he said he killed bear. We don't, it's not like he's in our family, but he's not like one of us like that. So we don't really like telling people. We don't, we don't like telling people that he's part of the family because of us. Uh -huh. So now you then realize that a man like David that was greatly excluded, one of his core values, whether or not he believed it, was to keep people in. He didn't have the heart to send people away. He didn't have the heart to tell you, get out. So David will keep <laughs> his son that raped the daughter. David will hear that um, Absalom killed his child. One brother killed another brother. He still left Absalom. Absalom came for his throne. He left him. When they were going to kill her, he was, please, you people don't kill Absalom. Then when he was going to die, he looked at Brother Solo. Solomon, Solomon. Solomon did not have inclusion problem. From the day that Solomon was born, he was told, you are special. The one that came before you, between these two people's relationship, God killed that child. But you were the one that God chose. That you would be the one to sit on it. From the day Solomon was born, he knew the throne was his. He had it over and over again. Do you understand? So Solomon had a great sense of self-worth and self-esteem. He had a sense of safety. So David said to Solomon, Solomon, kill this one. Fire this one. Remove this one. Don't let any of them stay because they will not let us. No, that, that's easy. That's why there are some people that when some bosses want to do something, then they send. It's not because the people are weaker, because they don't have any problem telling people. You can't be on team again because of it. They are very straight. You don't have any problem with being hated. But Solomon and David had a big issue. So all of these things, eh? all of these things have a way of determining the person you are and how you build. Solomon built differently because of his personality and his personal values. His identity was intact. So recognizing these discrepancies will enable you to make necessary adjustments and live a more congruent and purpose-driven life. Very important. Explore your strengths and your weaknesses. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Have self-reflection exercises. You know, ask the Lord to teach you how to develop your emotional intelligence. Many of us are not. You are crying when you are not supposed to cry. You are shouting when you are not supposed to shout. You are insensitive when you are supposed to be insensitive. You don't even know how to speak. You don't know how to engage. Somebody introduces a person to you and says, oh, this is my mother. Like, hi. Hi, you're high in the name of Jesus. Hi. Hi to my mother. I don't care where you're from. There's an intelligence that you should have. When they tell you, oh, this is the person that means the world to you don't say, oh, good, nice to meet you. So, ah, please, is there rice in this house? Eh? Where did you come from? Did nobody teach you how to be? Please remain in this class if nobody really taught you. It's called intelligence, engagement. You know, somebody's telling you about something bad that happened to them and you are smiling. They say, oh, why are you smiling? I, it's hi, I, I listen. I smile when, I, when I'm listening. Where's your emotional intelligence? 
There's some things that you have been told. You don't have to feel it, but you have to look it. Do you get what I'm saying? Feeling. Oh my God. Oh, so sorry. Have to be smart because you will build and scatter with your own hand if you don't have sense. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, I could have, I wanted to end this class with an exercise, but I don't have the time to do it now. Um, I, I want to say to you, um, It's an exercise on prioritizing, the, the process of prioritizing your core values and identify. And of course, when I talk about core values, our core values should be derived from scripture. You understand? Our first core value should be love. You know, for God so love the world. So no matter what you build, you have to ask yourself, is what I'm building rooted in love or just rooted in profits? Is what I'm building rooted in restoration, rooted in replenishing, Rooted in subduing darkness and unrighteousness, or is it just rooted in being famous? So all of these things are very, 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 very important. Okay. Now, um, so the process of identifying and prioritizing your core values um, is very essential. So core values are, um, I've told you, your deeply held beliefs, your you know your thoughts, your behaviors, and all of that. So to prioritize your core value, can I go on? Let me just say five minutes. Yeah, is this the time? Anyway, number one, self-reflection. Number two, identify your key values. Number three, rank the values. Okay, so enter into a state of self-reflection. Identify all your values self-reflection of course by the power of the holy spirit and then rather them you know then consider conflicts so it's important to acknowledge that there may be many times where your core values may conflict with you know other people or with others so in that kind of situation you have to make difficult decisions to reconcile conflicting values and to determine okay yes this is a core to me but this is what i have to work with this is how it conflicts where am I able to, um, what's that word now, where you find a middle ground and what does that look like? Do you understand? So consider all the conflicts. Then with, and also even your industry, there are certain conflicts and all of that. So compromise, find the, the ground for compromise. Thank you, Coach Yeboah. And then the fifth thing, refine and review. Give yourself to know that over time, these things evolve. So allow yourself to refine and review it um, according to scriptures and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, so, yes, three is rank the values. Four is consider possible conflicts in the key areas of your life, your engagement and partnerships. And then five is refine and review. Refine and review. So those are the first steps you will take in um prioritizing all values and helping them in framing your identity for the purpose of being there. Praise God. We have ended for tonight. I'm clapping for Jesus. Okay. So, 
um, protocol two done. So tomorrow we're going to protocol three under the protocols of um, under building protocol. So the first one is divine revelation. The second one is um, identity and foundation as a foundation. So we'll go into the third one tomorrow. And uh, let me see, what's the third one? Who is a good student that can tell me what the third one is? The third one is authority and responsibility. Yes, authority and responsibility. That's the third one. Look, guys, this is a whole curriculum that I'm teaching you. A whole curriculum. It's not even a curriculum I've, ta I've taught before. It's not even part of my Academy of the Builders curriculum at all. This is completely different. For those who have taken that course, you know. So, um, but I believe you are a worthy investment. I believe you are one of God's greatest treasures. I believe that your spirit is honorable before God and before the world, and you are deserving of all the best that heaven has to offer. I know that you will be transformed by reason of the things that you hear. You will be built, you will be healed. Um, your prayers will change, your, your desire, your hunger will grow. I know that you know you will receive um deeper truths in the Lord by these foundational truths that you are hearing. You know, so I will keep pouring into you. Um, what I want you to do is to take all of this knowledge in. Please don't waste them. Take them in. Go back. Read them. Pray with the things you have written down. Press into the Lord. Believe God for every single thing. Trust God for healing of your fragmented soul, your fragmented mind, your fragmented personality. Ask God to show you the external factors that affect your internal values and your personality. Because as you start to erect things, you are not going to build um, based on the brokenness on the inside of you, but you're going to be built based on the wholeness of the vision of God. Um, so I pray that God really restores you. And every 24 hours will be 24 hours of activation, restoration, impartation in the name of Jesus. 24 hours in these 21 days will be so powerful. Let the angels of God stand guard over these words and everyone that has received them by faith, let God activate mighty things on the inside of them in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Also, what I want you to do is share, share with your family, share with your friends, share with everybody, share the link. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is if you have been impacted, think about what it will do for somebody else. And also, you know, it's funny because apparently it was our teaching on gates that somebody shared with somebody who shared with Archbishop um, Duncan Williams. It was actually a teaching like this, me sitting in the room, somebody shared it with another person who shared it with the Archbishop. And he was like, who is this lady? Get her to the conference. So it wasn't because I knew or he met me so I know. So sometimes just in sharing the good news, has an, uh, 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 its capacity to expand the scope to which the gospel can be preached. Do you understand? So that, that one testimony from me that I got from Access. So teaching you Access gave me Access. Can you believe that? And to think that the conference was all about gates. I'm like, what? Let's do this. Let's go. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. So share the sermons. Bless somebody. Um you master the things we have learned. Some of you can also even teach from the things I'm teaching you. It's all yours. Don't waste these resources. Start a group from this area. Start another small study group. 
where you are holding yourselves accountable to the things that you are learning here. Do you understand? Such a great opportunity to grow. You know, don't waste it. Feel free to post things on social media, on your stories, on your posts. It, it gladdens in my heart when I see it. I cannot lie because it makes me feel like, oh, wow, okay. This person received this so much that it really impacted them. They felt like, you know what, I want to put this on my stories. I need to talk about this. So please feel free to put it up. Um, at every point in time, there are one-minute videos on Insta for Instagram, for social media. When you get those one-minute videos on the group, you can share them, you can post them. Everything is free, okay? Honestly, I do love you guys. You know, I, I look forward to being with this family. Even though I can't see many people, I don't even know how they pass you on. In fact, I go to nations and somebody has walked up to me before in some random state I was in in America, asked me, I say, see, I was like, yes, I pray Irene. You know, I was like, really? Ah! You know, and it was so good. So I may meet you soon. I may not meet you soon, but wherever it is, I love you. And I love, love to teach you. Let's grow this community. Let's have thousands of people sitting here as a network. You get this thing. Tell them, come and learn. Bring Bible paper, sit down. Just come and learn. That's all. Do you understand? In the morning, let's pray. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to see you and we're going to pray again. I'm going to trust Jesus. I really want to move away from Matthew 16 very quickly because by next tomorrow, I want you to teach, I want to start teaching on how to build by blood. You know, so I want to start praying in the morning on building by the blood and, you know, just entering into the blood of Jesus. Um, yeah, Eden, I have to go answer Judas' question, right? On how to think through things. <laughs> I pray the Holy Ghost tells me what to tell you. Okay. All right. I love you guys. God bless you. And I pray for your children. Most children are resuming on Monday. I pray that God will bless them. God will keep them. Uh, God will make this like their best term in school so far. And anyone that is struggling with any course or any class or any study, I pray that God will fill them with divine wisdom, divine revelation. We separate seed. Uh, God, the hand of God will be upon them, that God will surround them, that the angels of the Lord will follow them in the name of Jesus, that none of us will lose any of our children, we will not lose them physically, we will not leave, lose them spiritually, but will be kept by Jesus Himself. God bless you. God bless you. And um, I part of what I want to do in these 21 days is for a three-day period, I want us to dedicate one three-day period to pray for marriages, our homes and our marriages, and pray for our spouses. Some of you have not prayed for your husbands in a long time. You have not prayed for your wives before. I want to teach you how to do this, and I want us to pray together and trust God. Oh, wonder woman, God bless you. Love you too. And trust God um, for impact in our marriages and in our homes. God bless you. Chingwe, my sister, I love you. God bless you so much. Good night. See you all tomorrow. Bye.